0: Hey guys, it's me, Dante Stack. Before we start today's episode, I want to remind you to get your questions in for the Solving the World episode we're going to do after episode 67. That's a special episode where I just answer all your questions. Send your questions in now. Get them in as soon as possible to my personal email address. That's dantestack at gmail.com, D-A-N-T-E. S-T-A-C-K. And while I'm at it, let me remind you that all music and sound effects used in this upcoming episode, and every other episode of Solve the World, is appropriately attributed on our show notes page at DanteStack.com. Okay? Enjoy the show. Solve the World, a fictional adventure told
1: in 100 episodes. Everyone knows what's coming. It's the glorious end of the world. Episode
0: 66, The Darkest Corridors.
1: and solve the world.
0: Look the whole world needs us. I'm making a new life for myself here. You you don't even know what this place is Jen protested. Like you do, I met the elders. That took Atticus by surprise. How are they like? They're they're willing to make a deal. What sort of deal, Jen? I convinced them that if I do what they want, they'd let me take you with me. I don't want to go with you. I don't want to leave. You. Atticus, don't you understand? You won't have to go through with it. The glass house. We could leave tonight, or tomorrow. You won't have to go through the glass house. I'm going to go to the glass house. Atticus, you can't mean that. That's insane. New place, new rules. Atticus.
1: Atticus. Atticus. eight
0: hours earlier. We want that you understand us. Understand who we are. What we're attempting to do on this island. Why we do what we do. Have you heard about our glass house experiment? It starts this Friday, you know. No, Jen answered. I haven't. She was standing in the center of a low-ceilinged, blue-tinted room, the color coming mainly from the tint of the windows. Jen stood at the center point, pointing towards a semicircle of chairs. Twelve older people sat on the twelve chairs facing her. One man at the end of the semicircle sat with a greyhound dog studiously seated by his side. He wore dark glasses. Blind, surely, but who uses greyhounds as guide dogs? Jen's journey to this room, located on the 40th floor of the tallest skyscraper at Christchurch, New Zealand, was direct. When she and Esau walked off the plane from Tonga, they were greeted by two black SUVs. Each individual was directed to get into the backseat of separate vehicles. Esau went his way, Jen went hers. Jen was unable to roll down her window, but what she saw out her car window was a lively community. It was a gorgeous, sunny day. People were out, milling about, shopping, eating, sharing coffee. It was all so... usual. Like how the world used to look. There was no plague here, no fear in the eyes of the passerbys on the broad walkways. Taxis were honking, traffic lights were infuriating short-tempered travelers. This was the epitome of a normal metropolis. Jen's driver took her without hesitation to the tallest building in town, a building which had stories tall letters streaming across its facade. Free, it said. F-R-E-E. The SUV paused and the driver opened Jen's door for her. He blossomed open an umbrella over her head. This was presumably to hide Jen from any onlooker. Smugly wasn't quite ready to reveal his newly won prize to his citizens quite yet. And so Jen was marshaled to the elders. The oligarchy. The executive branch of Smugly Incorporated. They were... Twelve old people. The room, as previously mentioned, was a dark blue... So Jen couldn't make out their faces very well. She feared she was on trial in front of these strangers. But, although the elders weren't by any means warm or inviting, they weren't eyeing an Inquisition today either. We are the first religion of epistemology and experience. Free Church. The acronym is not accidental. These are our most sacred values. We'd like for you to understand this. This was the elder in the middle of the semicircle addressing Jen. To our backs are two doors. The door to your left is the epistemology door. The door to your right is the experience door. Before we proceed, we'd like you to walk through both doors. Have a brief conversation, one-on-one, with two individuals that know much about these values. Does that sound fair to you? Um... Sure, yeah, Jen replied. Mr. Pangloss here, will walk you through the door on your left. Apparently, Mr. Pangloss was the old man with the Greyhound. He and his loyal subject arose from their place, the dog knowing exactly where to take the old fellow. As they walked toward the room, Jen couldn't help but notice the dog's gait. It was limping. No, not quite. The guide dog, it would appear, had developed a sort of strut, a weird kicking out, and dragging of his back leg in order to slow his pace. Greyhounds are fast. This one needed to be slow. The blind Pangloss, without hesitating, grabbed at the door handle, opened it, and motioned for Jen to enter through. You know what epistemology means uh the study of epistles jen guessed as she surveyed the room it was a library this room beautifully handcrafted mahogany shelves stored a seeming endless supply of books the room was narrow you couldn't fit a couch in it lengthwise but the ceiling extended up far beyond reason and the books followed it up all the way maybe 20 feet tall There were wooden sliding ladders strewn all about. Jen had to fight the urge from within to climb a random ladder and pick a book at random from one of the top shelves. You got theology part right. Epistemology is not the study of epistles. It's the study of knowledge. How do you study knowledge? Yes, that's the first question to ask. But, uh, how do you? Different minds have had different theories on that. Every book in this room tries to attack that very question. How do we know what we know is maybe the most pivotal question in all of philosophy? Are you a philosopher? Not in the strict sense. I, like my compatriots, the Greyhound was making a lot of noise at this juncture licking himself. I'm interested in finding answers. Some of the answers are universal. Why are we here? Is there anything special about humans? Is there a reason for our living? Is there a reason for our dying? When we die, does reality stop? Reality stop? Yes. From observation, when someone or something dies, its animation goes away. I'm sorry, animation? Like a drawing? A cartoon? No. Your muscles, they twitch. You move. We call this animation. You are animated right now. I am animated. Jen repeated. The sentence sounded strange. The longer this conversation went, however, the more comfortable Jen was becoming. She liked philosophy. She recalled fondly her conversation with the old man in that magical kingdom who taught her the difference between perception and reality. When you exhale your last breath, you will no longer be animated. Are you over? In that case, I'm dead. Yes, but are you over? Like my soul? No, not necessarily. If what makes you is your body, then surely you are not over. Your body is still here. It's no longer animated, but it's still here. But I'm dead. It's pretty much over. So reality has stopped? Not for everybody else, but for you? Well, yeah, I guess. Then you admit there are multiple realities. Well, no, that's not what I meant. There's just the one. One reality. Which one? Huh? Are you dead or alive? <laughs> "'I'm alive. What happened to your hand?' "'It got cut off.' The blind man took off his dark glasses, revealing intricate amber hues. He grabbed Jen's arm, raising it above her own eyes. He wasn't blind, after all. "'Where are the scars?' "'I don't... Jen didn't want to admit defeat. Not now. Not to this guy.' "'Hey, what... what's going on here? What's this really about?' "'A simple question. Are you alive or dead?' Jen slipped her hand out of the librarian's grasp. Scoffing, she said, You know what? That's... That's the problem with all you philosophy geeks. You don't live in the real world, okay? You think all your big words and concepts explain things, but they don't do anything. They don't actually explain my life, or your life, anything. They're just words. They just... Jen was really working herself into a lather. They just, they just, they just throw mud in your eyes, in my eyes. So you know you're not dead, Pangloss asked meekly. Uh, Of course I know. I'm here, I'm talking, I'm breathing, and I'm starting to get a little angry. That's your reality, but it may not be mine. Jen rolled her eyes. You're talking to me. A speck of spit fell down onto the greyhound, causing the skinny pooch to turn up towards the stammering woman. See? Your dog's looking at me. How do you know? I see him. He's looking up at me. You trust what you see. (sighs) Of course. Have you ever seen something that wasn't there? No, Jen said while thinking about the pukas of the Druidry. Giant, oversized bunnies. Do you ever dream... Do I ever dream? That doesn't count. You've seen things there. In your dreams. But I. I know those aren't real. Perhaps now. But you're not so sure while you're dreaming. Jen let the old man's words sit. She had no answer. You can't really tell one reality from the next. You can't really know if you're alive or dead. Why are you telling me this? What's the point? To prepare you. To prepare me for what? To prepare you for understanding the depth of mystery. What mystery? The world, Jennifer. The whole world is a mystery. Isn't that why you're here? Why you've traveled the earth? I was... I was on a ship. And why were you on a ship? Because I wanted to see if Leviathan was real. And why did you care about that? Because I wanted to know if it was real. Why? Because... Because I wanted to know if myths are true. Aren't they? I didn't know, that's why I looked. But you know now. Uh, I don't know. Yes, you do. Tell me. No, I don't know. You're not lying to me, you're lying to yourself. I am not. I, <laughs> I, I, I am not. Stop it. Are you alive or are you dead? I'm alive! Where are your scars? they healed. You were at the Druidry. Yes. You drank the tea. Yes. You got the tattoo. Yes. You fought the Minotaur. Uh, I, I I don't know. You know. You fought the Minotaur. I'm not sure. Yes, you are. Stop lying to yourself. You stand in your own way. Do you even care about truth? More than anything else. Then stop lying! I'm not! You fought the Minotaur! Yes! You saw the never-ending hole! Yes! You saw the unholy sacrifices! Yes! You got the tattoo! Yes. Pangloss smiled. Show it to me. It's gone. How did that happen? I don't know. Good. Most people never get as far as you've gotten. <laughs> I've gotten nowhere. Jen sighed and hung her head, ashamed of herself. But that's not true. That's not true at all. Prove it, Jen pouted. Why is there something instead of nothing? Huh? Why is there something instead of nothing? Ah, I... I don't get it. This is the first question. The question that all of reality, all of all realities, is wrapped up in. Science can't answer it. Science will never be able to answer it. That's why we need the church. To answer that question, Pangloss smirked warmly to at least try. He put his arm around Jen as the two of them, plus one greyhound, walked out of the room. After all, that's all we can do. Seated in a large, throne-like chair with light cascading in from large panels of windows, was a tall, black-haired woman. With the way the sun hit this woman, Jen thought for a moment that she'd never seen someone more beautiful in all her life. Her skin was pale as the moon, her eyes blue as the day sky, her hair, jet black, long and radiant, falling down to her jeans. "'Hi, I'm Sarah Kalfas.' She rose to meet Jen and shook her hand. "'Please.' Have a seat. Sarah motioned Jen towards the throne-like chair, the only seat in the room. This is something of an observation room, Sarah said as Jen scooted into the ornate chair. You can see all of Christchurch from here. Sarah swiveled Jen's chair, windows all around, a 360-degree panorama view. What do you think? (sighs) It's beautiful. There was a building just a couple blocks away, nearly as tall as this one fully enclosed behind, like, a million-foot gray tarp.
1: What's that? Jen pointed at it. I'm glad you asked. We'll get to talking about it soon. Uh, we call it the Glass House. Sarah made a funny little twisted face. <laughs> On second thought, you know, maybe that's the right place to start. Take a seat. Jen shot her a face, raised her hands in
0: an expression of, how can I sit any more than I already am? Sarah giggled at Jen. She was comforting, this one, not off-putting in the slightest. Whereas old Pangloss eventually made Jen feel insecure, unsafe with his rhetoric, Sarah brought an immediate calm to Jen. The jury was still out on all of the smugly business, but at least this moment seemed to be okay, safe.
1: Behind that tarp is a building made entirely of glass. Sarah began. Even the elevators, which are located in the interior of the building kind of like your basic hotel, are entirely glass. Everything is fully transparent. The vents, the irrigation, everything. Day after tomorrow, Friday, the tarp will fall. The glass house will be ready to perform its task. And what's its task? Jen asked to push the conversation forward. Every member of Free Church will walk through its glass corridors either Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. For four days, the building will serve a most dutiful role. The house, well, skyscraper really, is divided into thousands of small rooms. The rooms are, like, just tall enough to fit an average-sized person standing up straight. Like with a meter or so in every direction for wiggle room. Okay, Jen said. Starting Friday, on the hour, every hour, every room will be filled with one member. One citizen of Smugly's Free Church. Say, you're an average Smugly. By the way, that's what we call Free Church members. Smugglies. Every Smugly gets a reservation. That reservation has a day, time, and a room number. When your name and time comes up, you ascend to your room in the glass house. Then you wait. You have to imagine it. The whole thing's essentially invisible. So, you'll be in your room, just standing, Waiting but you'll be able to see hundreds, thousands of your friends, family, smugly comrades waiting in rooms adjacent to you. Above your head, below your feet. You'll feel like you're just floating on a cloud in heaven. Okay, but why? Why do all this? You'll be standing there. Just literally standing as if in midair. And then you'll notice some of the people around you in the other rooms. Not many, But a few, they'll fall down, collapse in their little cubicle. You'll panic in your heart for a moment. And then, whoosh, your glass door opens. You're free to go. You leave the glass house. What about the people that fell? One out of every 10 people in the glass house is gassed. Uh, asleep? Asleep forever dead Jennifer (laughs) you must be kidding we are the first religion of epistemology and experience Jennifer what that means in practice is that we don't know how the world works you could call us the don't know much about anything church if you wanted so in order to learn we have to experiment and the best experiments in life happen at the very edge the extremes. How, how do...
0: How does... How does killing a person help them
1: experience life? Oh, it, it doesn't. The glass house is not for those who die. It's for those that survive. Uh, you see, it's a completely random process. Every room's hooked up to a gas ventilator. A machine at random chooses which rooms to blow the gas in. One out of ten. Odds are, you go in, you come out. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. Is this a cruel trick? (sighs) Okay. Maybe I shouldn't have started with the glass house. Let me tell you a story. A true story. I don't think I want to hear it. Be quiet now, Jennifer. This is my life I'm talking about. You don't get a say in how it goes. Although Sarah's words were meant as reprimand, Jen didn't take it that
0: way. She was too perplexed by Sarah's statement. You don't get a say in how it goes.
1: What a weird thing. What a weird statement. My baby brother. He's a perfectly wonderful human being. Or rather, was a perfectly wonderful human being. But from from around his ninth birthday onwards, he started having trouble sleeping. I remember it well. It was in the summer when it first happened. He'd just be screaming in bed. At the top of his lungs, Jen. Just Ah! screaming bloody murder. I hated the sound of it. So I went to him. I'd coddle him, cuddle him, try to rock him to sleep. For a while, the first few nights, it worked. He'd fall asleep in my arms. But... After a while, I wasn't enough anymore. My love couldn't overcome the evil in his nightmares. After that summer, somehow, the bad dreams came less often. He was able to get some rest some real rest. (laughs) We all were. For a long while, years, he never talked about them. The dreams. The things that happened in his dreams. Until one night, he was, I don't know, maybe 15. I heard him screaming. This is, you know, 3, 4 in the morning. And, And this particular night, he was shouting my name. I remember, Sarah! Sarah! I ran to his bedroom. His eyes were closed, but he was retching his back, contorting himself into all these horrible positions. Like a seizure. I tried to calm him down. I sat on the edge of the bed and tried to pin him down, keep his body from writhing. Sarah was pacing in front of Jen. She
0: paused now. Sarah was wearing black gloves. She stared at Jen now as she took off the gloves. Just from one hand, her left. With the black glove off of it... Jen saw clearly what was missing.
1: Her ring finger was missing past the knuckle. My brother opened his eyes. He jolted up. I didn't move back soon enough. He bit off half my finger, swallowed it. I told everyone that i cut it off myself, said I wanted a sandwich in the middle of the night. People believed me. They had no reason not to. Sarah continued pacing. Jennifer, it's at the extremes of life that we touch the void. We feel the thinness of the fabric that separates us from the all reality. A couple years later, my brother stabbed his roommate in the middle of the night. He tried to eat him. He's been in 24-hour surveillance ever since. Do you want to know the truth? Yes, Jen responded. Sarah leaned in toward Jen, smushing her face right up next to Jen's. There's a psychosis. Well, doctors call it a psychosis, but I know better. She paused, thinking. It's funny. The Lonely Plague, it's almost, almost a zombie apocalypse. So close. But there's one huge difference. The infected. They're not cannibals. They don't have that spirit. What spirit? Some call it Wendigo. Isn't that, uh, a Native American,
0: uh, legend? Uh, uh, an Indian myth,
1: Jen said, recalling some X-Files or Twilight Zone episode she'd caught on late night TV. I had to know, Jen. I had to know. That's why I'm the perfect member of Free Church. I'm the perfect zombie. Sarah lifted her arms wide open. Sarah Kalfus is the embodiment of the virtues of the first religion of epistemology and experience at Christchurch, New Zealand. The last kingdom on earth. <sighs> what does this have to do with gassing innocent
0: people? Sarah had taken off her left glove before. Now she removed her right. The ring finger on her right hand just like her left, was cut off at the knuckle. It took a moment for Jen to recognize that Sarah wasn't showing her the same nub twice.
1: I had to know the truth. So, I did it. I followed in my brother's footsteps. And? My experience, Jennifer, it's more powerful than any theology, any Bible, any prayer you could imagine. I know. I know. Without a shred of doubt. Can you imagine how comforting that is? I don't think you can. It is so freeing to be doubtless. (laughs) Those still shackled by logic and reason. (laughs) Oh, I pity them. I mean that. Really. Sarah pushed her two hands together, making the void where her
0: ring fingers should meet, thoroughly symmetrical in their sparseness. (sighs) Jen cleared her throat. What
1: did you learn? (laughs) Spirits are real. Call it what you will. Maybe you don't like the word spirits. Call it fates, gods, jinn, puka. The name isn't important. How do you know? Because when I ate my finger, he came into me. Who? Windigo. Is he here now? He's always with me. How do you know? That's a good question. Um, people aren't supposed to want to eat human flesh. I do. I gave him a taste. Now he wants me to eat more and more and more. That's why the glass house is so necessary. Because
0: you're insane.
1: Sarah snuck up toward Jen and ever so gently,
0: slowly, rested her gloveless hands on Jen's shoulders, holding her down.
1: Everything in me right now wants to bite your cheek.
0: Everything in me. She let go of
1: Jen. The muscles in Jen's shoulder spasm, trying to detense. You can't share experience. It can only be lived. You probably saw walking the streets. Just like nothing. Nothing special. Regular folks living ordinary lives. People flock here to the bottom of the world. Why? All of them are fleeing. Fling what? Reality. Reality is the lonely plague. Reality is the smell of a nuclear bomb. Reality is not working nine to five and coming home to binge on your favorite nightly TV show. Reality, truth, can only be measured at the extremes. It can only be felt when something like Windigo enters. Your murderers... Now, there's no mystery to the glass house. Every soul that enters knows the cost. Knows what's coming. You're only seeing the bad... The dead bodies. Look at the results, though. Okay? Thousands, hundreds of thousands, will walk away, changed forever. They will have touched death, felt its warm breath across the back of their necks. When they're standing there, Waiting, the mind games will go pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter-patter through their bodies. Everyone, everyone, and believe me when I say this, everyone, at that last moment, will believe in the darkest corridors of their heart that they are the unlucky one. Every person knows they deserve it, knows they're just unlucky enough to get it. Not receiving what's coming will change them forever, Smugly, Smugly is a grand experiment. This time next week, we'll have a real church because we'll have real believers. We'll have people that really understand what life can be. No more imitations.
0: Jen exited that room with a mission. She needed Atticus. She needed him not to die. She needed him to never go into the glass house. And so, a deal was fashioned. Jen lied through her teeth to make it, too. She told the elders what they wanted to hear, that she knew precisely where the Croatoan was hidden. She'd find it, get it, hand it over to Smugly if they'd let Atticus leave with her. And once she gives them the Croatoan, they would get her to Anmo. From there, Jen left the oligarchic center of the first religion of epistemology and experience with determined hope. Smugly was just like Mama and Fodderbeck just like all the powerful manipulators her adventures had brought her to. Was everyone corrupt? Was everything bad? No. Atticus was good. Scout was good. That's why she was going to save them. Now. It didn't work out that way. The next day... After her conversation with Atticus, Jen met with the elders once more. The conversation was short, the negotiation much briefer than the day before. The New Deal was simple. Jennifer Dash would go into the glass house. She'd await fate for all to see. Smugly could roar on public broadcast about how even the famous Jennifer Dash had converted to the glass house think. In return, Atticus would not die in the house. They'd make sure his room number in that transparent hotel of death would be gas-free. That was the deal. Now, the only thing to do was go into the house and pray that Smugly kept his word.